Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How long does pitcher Charlie Morton want to play for the Rays, and will 2020 be his last season in baseball? What has Kevin Kiermaier done to his swing this offseason? And what came out of Stu Sternberg's meeting with Jane Castor, the mayor of Tampa, and Commissioner Ken Hagan? And Major League Baseball is proposing a 14-team playoff. Is this a good idea? We've got all that to discuss and more with Mark Topkin, who covers the Rays for the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, before we get to Mark, some football news uh, since we last uh, chatted a little bit, Steve. Philip Rivers now officially a free agent. The, so the Bucks uh, are signing him, correct? <laughs> well, not so fast. He moved but to Florida. Maybe. Come on. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, the Chargers and him have agreed to uh, to part ways, as they will. I mean, he's going to be a free agent anyway, but the Chargers, I guess, have made it clear that uh, they are moving on to another quarterback, perhaps Tom Brady. Who knows? Didn't that allow him now to talk to teams now, essentially? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a they've actually instituted what is now a legal tampering period that is, you know, comes sometime later in March mm-hmm. or the beginning, you know, towards the beginning of March, actually the middle of March. But um, but let's be let's be realistic. I mean, he is not going back to the to the L.A. Chargers. And so uh, and I think those conversations happen anyway. Um, sure. But now although, it becomes a little more. Now it's a little more, up, a little less intimidating. You're not going to get a, uh, you know, like a. Uh, some kind of a tampering fine or, or have to forfeit a draft pick or something necessarily. I mean, I think, I think it's sort of on the don't ask, don't tell realm anyway. But, but in as much as, you know, other teams that may have had him on their list don't have to worry about, you know, well, he's just going to resign with the Chargers. Now, that can't be said about, you know, Tom Brady, who uh, it looks also that he will test free agency. Um, but, you know, there's still uh, more than a suspicion he could remain, uh, you know, with the New England Patriots. But the dominoes are going to start to fall here pretty soon, um, at least at least by the time we get to the franchise tags. And that that brings us to another quarterback story, which is Taysom Hill, who is sort of the, you know, the Swiss Army knife of the Saints offense, uh, a guy that's a quarterback, but he's also played running back, receiver, fullback, taking direct steps, throwing the ball. Um, and he has come out, and he's going to be a restricted free agent, but he has come out and said, look, if the Saints don't see me as a franchise quarterback, I want to move on, which is interesting because it's not totally in his control in as much as the Saints can tender him a contract that would at least guarantee them guarantee them right of first refusal. But a decision is coming in New Orleans, and I, I've actually maintained that that's the first domino, right? What does Drew Brees do? If Drew Brees says, I'm playing, is he is he going to say I'm playing, but I'm willing to give up 20 snaps a game to Taysom Hill? Well, if you're going to do that, then you're not playing. You know what I mean? Like that's not really what who Drew Brees is. And so I, I think once they have a picture of what Drew wants to do, and they've made it clear that if he wants to play, they want him back. Um, then that obviously affects Teddy Bridgewater. It affects Taysom Hill. I think the Saints do see Hill as as a future quarterback for them, but they're going to have to commit to him pretty soon because after this year. They can't even control his rights. And then there's all kinds of salary cap implications with Breeze, whether he plays or he doesn't play. 
is going to cost them a lot of dead money uh, on the salary cap. So uh, this is all start starting to slowly filter itself out, but um, thought it was interesting anyway that that Philip Rivers is out there. The early money, if you will, and I don't, I haven't looked at Las Vegas, but I would say that um, an awful lot of smarter people than me have sort of looked at Indianapolis as a potential for Philip Rivers, just simply because he's not the the most mobile of guys he never was, particularly now in his his advanced age. But they have a really good offensive line, a really good run game, um, and Jacoby Brissett may not take them very far. You know, there's still. Mm-hmm. Even though they signed him to a to a, a you know quarterback modest contract uh, for three years, um, you know he he may not be the guy that's going to win a Super Bowl for him. So um, I've been reading a lot, you know, of, of, of obviously different reports from different teams about their quarterback situation, and a lot of people think that that might be a good fit. You know, another I was uh, watching some of the shows the last couple mm-hmm. of days, and you know the Patriots have an interesting dilemma. They were saying it's a tough needle they're trying to thread. Because presumably they want to keep Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and Tom Brady wants more weapons around him. Mm-hmm. But weapons don't want to sign in New England unless Tom Brady's coming back. It's chicken in the egg. So yeah. how do you get the weapons to come and show <laughs> Tom Brady that you're committed to it? With yeah, with if Tom Brady's not the quarterback, those weapons don't want to go to New England. Yeah, it's impossible. I mean, it's it's basically impossible. You, I mean, again, those conversations take place. Um, I mean, I think that Tom has knows enough players in this league that if, you know, if he said to, uh, you know, a particular receiver that might is consider mm-hmm. is going to be a free agent, you know, hey, I'm I'm coming back to New England. Will you join me? Um, you know, he could let let it out of the bag. Although, who who would you trust, right, in that mm-hmm. situation? But but it is it is a chicken and the egg thing, right? You're not going to get receivers to commit if they don't think tb12 is their quarterback so and, and it's not like it's not like new england hasn't tried to put weapons around brady either i mean no. I, I know he's been dissatisfied but they went and got josh gordon and there was problems they went and got antonio brown and you know he had more issues there was problems and, well but, but but i mean look what you but that's what you you just you just named two guys that are very talented but neither one you could rely on right in other words they don't have um mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Randy Moss in his day even mm-hmm. had some off-field problems, but at the time he came to New England, he still had a lot of football in him, and he caught like 22 touchdowns in one year. So you could still find somebody that doesn't have that baggage that's not unpredictable, be it a drug, you know, your one drug test away or your one, you know, flighty press conference away from uh, from being, you know, kicked out of New England. I mean, they, they need to get... They should have drafted and developed some of those guys by now, but they need to get him some proven receivers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, we go from quarterback controversies to is there a center field controversy with the Rays? All right, Mark Topkin joins us now from Port Charlotte where the Rays will begin spring training, of course, with pitchers and catchers. Mark, uh, you had a chance to uh, talk to Charlie Morton, who still continues to be one of the most interesting players, I think, in baseball, certainly on the race. You've had a couple of stories on him over the past few days. Let's start 
with what he said about the Houston Astros and the cheating scandal. He, of course, was part of that World Series team, and you could argue benefited from it. What did he tell you about what he knew and, and when he knew it? Yeah, I thought the most interesting thing, Rick, was that um, he basically said he should have done more to stop it and, and um, you know, said he regrets that and you know, has given it a lot of thought, which is no surprise. If you know Charlie Morton, he is one of the most thoughtful and respected players around the game. And I think you know, probably the context is relevant here that in 2017 he had just gone to the Astros and he wasn't very good. He was kind of a journeyman pitcher and, and they kind of gave him a surprising amount of money. There was a kind of a f- famous funny story, maybe apocryphal, but that when his agent called him and told him that the Astros wanted to sign him for $7 million for two years, he thought it was $7 million split over two years. And it was, no, it was $7 million a year, but that's how, you know, he kind of thought where he was in the game. And, and obviously what they thought of him, he had two great years for them, but you know, he was just there in 17. He was hurt early in the season. So I don't think he was in a place to, to speak up maybe. And that's maybe what eats at him a little bit. I'm just psychoanalyzing here a drop, but, because his words were strong and he said, you know, he, he didn't really, he hit a phrase where he said, I don't know where I was at then, but you know, what's wrong is wrong. And I'll never be absolved of that. And that was a pretty telling comment too. So I think it bothers him. He, he acknowledged that, you know, it, it does impact negatively that world series that they won. I mean, he was kind of the word tainted. It was floated in the question. And he said, I don't know if I would say tainted, but it's definitely impacted that. And he knows people around the game think differently. And it was also interesting that I asked him what he thought of his, you know, now former teammates, but those hitters that he played with, they're the ones who benefited from this. And, you know, he didn't, didn't, uh, didn't throw them under the bus, really. He said, you know, good people make mistakes too. And that's how he kind of looked at it. So very interesting, thoughtful comments from him. And I think some of the most interesting ones that have come out, I mean, obviously with camps opening this week, we're going to hear a lot of stories from a lot of people, uh, including a big package in the Tampa Bay times coming up this Sunday, but you know, we're going to find out what the Astros players who did benefit from this directly. I mean, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, that group of hitters, you know, they had a few quotes during their fan fest a couple weeks ago. It didn't come off well. They didn't really show any contrition. And Bregman specifically caught on a video kind of just, you know, blowing off the question. So I'd be curious to see uh, how the Astros handle this. But Charlie Morton, I thought, really spoke and spoke very well to that subject. I thought it was interesting that, that you know, he was almost more remorseful in, in what he didn't do to stop it than, than the Astros, to date at least, as we do this podcast, have been with respect to the whole scandal. I mean, obviously it cost A.J. Hinch's job and the general manager and then the organization, you know, that, that World Series will be, will be tainted forever. Um, but the players themselves, and, and Mark, you and I talked to a couple of players um, and I know I did at the, at, uh, the fan fest that, that, that was sort of the themes that they hit on was like, they would have liked to have seen the players themselves be a little more contrite. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, maybe that is still to come. I know I talked to commissioner Manfred last week, he was in Orlando and he kind of alluded to that, you know, don't judge them, their response yet. There may be something more coming and, and then claimed he didn't know exactly what that would be, but it does sound like maybe there'll be some type of. You know, whether it's a group statement or a media session or something uh, this week when the Astros do get to camp and their hitters will be a few days after their pitchers and catchers, obviously. But it just feels like that, that this is not going to go away uh, until that happens, Rick. I'm not sure it'll go away after, but it really isn't going to go away until they do that. And you know, every player who was on the Astros, this is why, this is how you know, kind of it trickles down here. Every player who was on the Astros, wherever they are now, is being asked. I mean, Marwin Gonzalez is with the Twins, and he was with them last year when no one knew of this. Now that it's come out, 
you know, he got peppered with questions today when he showed up in their camp. So, you know, every team that has a former player or staff member from the Astros is going to have this issue and then, you know, this distraction in their camp. You know, last year, I, I mean, I don't think the Rays could have asked for anything more. Uh, they, they make the deal for Charlie, uh, for Charlie Morton. They obviously paid him a lot of money at an age where not many pitchers would command that. And then he went out and I think not only met expectations, may have exceeded them. I mean, arguably the best year he's had in baseball um, and yet you, you talk to him about his career here and just what he plans on doing even beyond this season, and it's not a lock that, that he can pl- continues playing beyond 2020. No, it isn't. And, and, you know, his contract was constructed in a way when he signed with the Rays, uh, and it's been a little misconstrued out there publicly the way it's been written a few places, but it was basically to protect the Rays where if he got hurt and missed a chunk of time in, in either 19 or 20, and obviously 20 hasn't started yet, they would have the ability to bring him back for a third year at a at the same or a significantly reduced rate. It's kind of stepped down based on how much time he missed. But it was always kind of struck me that that was set up in a way, you know, for their benefit, whereas I thought he wanted to just play the two years and, and maybe be done at that point. And I asked him today and uh, Tuesday, and he talked about it a little bit and said, you know, he hasn't made that decision yet. But and you have to understand, Charlie's one of these rare people that you know we hear so much from players all the time. They they kind of go through that uh, that performance coaching where every everything is positive, everything they can do. And Charlie's a little bit rare in that he's he's kind of a pessimist by nature and certainly a realist, if not a pragmatist. And he said, you know, he he just doesn't always he never expects to do really well. And you know, he said in seventeen, even when he went to the Astros, he hadn't been very good. He was off to a good start. He just didn't think it was going to last. And it's obviously lasted now for 18 and 19, but he said if he doesn't pitch well this year or if he's not healthy this year, then he, he can't see himself playing next year if he's not enjoying it, essentially. But if he is enjoying it, if he is doing well, then he certainly is open to playing next year. And, and let's be honest here. I mean, if he stays healthy, he'd be a, he'd have a $15 million, you know, the Rays would have a $15 million option on him. So he could, if they exercise it, which you'd assume they would if he's healthy, he'd be walking away from $15 million to retire. So I don't know that anybody's going to do that in their right mind either. But it's really interesting that, you know, as, as I said, he's so thoughtful, Rick. And then here you know, on his own subject, his own future, he's certainly going to be very thoughtful as the year unfolds. Yeah, and, and, and having, you know, being close to his family here, of course, was important to him. So obviously if he pitches well and he's still able to, to, to be around family, that would that would be a factor. I thought it was uh, interesting, you know, uh, the first guy we talked to, Mark, on Saturday was Emilio Pagan, who, as you know, you were part of that conversation, was just so happy to be back with the Rays, the most fun he's ever had in baseball last year, but how great it was to be on the same team two years in a row. And then hours later, literally, he's traded in exchange for Manuel Margot and a minor leaguer to San Diego. So um, unfortunate for him, obviously, um, and, and a surprise in that here's a guy that you know that had 20 saves last year. So why did the Rays do it? What was the uh, what was their reasoning behind it? Yeah, it was a surprise, and uh, to a lot of people, including Kevin Kiermaier, which we can get to in a minute. But I think it, you know, in talking to some Rays people and trying to grasp this, because I, di- I didn't understand it at first either. Manuel Margot is a really good defensive center fielder, which the Rays have a really good defensive center fielder. And he's a guy who doesn't hit all that well. And the Rays have a really good defensive center fielder who doesn't hit all that well. So I wasn't sure what, what the upside was there. But the sense I get talking to the Rays is they see Margot as more of that. They think he's a guy who can become an everyday regular player, uh, whether that's you know down the road in center, whether that's in left field. 
uh, this season. And, you know, the Rays did pretty well when they had like B.J. Upton in center and Carl Crawford in left for a while there. You can imagine how that shuts down teams with those kind of caliber defensive players, which is what Kiermaier and Margot could be, if not even better, uh, if they team up there. But they wanted Margot. They tried to get him for minor leaguers. San Diego wouldn't budge. They wanted help for their bullpen. And the Rays essentially made a, a value calculation that it would be easier for them to replace Emilio Pagan in their bullpen from the, the talented arms that they have than it would be to find another player as uh, that they value as highly as they do Margot. So that was that was how they viewed it, and then they made the trade. And like I said, there's been some trickle down talk to Kiermaier about it, and he admitted his he said you know his stomach dropped. He was at a wedding, and he he thought he was that he was the next you know to go that he'd be traded. He actually called Kevin Cash, the manager, right from the wedding, and and asked him what the deal was. And right. Kiermaier told uh, Cash told me you don't have anything to worry about. But you know, so you and I weren't the only people who thought this meant Kevin Kiermaier was going to be traded. A lot of people did, including Kevin Kiermaier. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because he he's so resembles him in skill set, and yet Kevin Kiermaier has done some things in this off season with the Rays' blessing. We've always talked about um, you know the, the way he hits, or in some cases doesn't hit, um, simply because you know with his speed, you'd like to see, or a lot of the baseball fans would like to see him hit the ball to all fields, and he's a guy that tends to try to yank it and has power, but um, not a great on base percentage, you know, with in relationship to his wheels. So. What has he done this off season, and and just what what was the impetus behind it? Yeah, it was interesting. He um, he came into camp on Tuesday, a little a few days early, and and kind of said, you know, you guys got any questions? What are you going to ask me? I've had a baby. I've been you know <laughs> married. I've nothing really exciting going on. And said, what's new this year? And then he told us for about ten minutes about all these changes he made. So <laughs> he went. Uh, he, he basically laid it out like this: he's always been kind of guy who's hit the way he wanted to hit growing up. He always hit that way. He just keeps hitting that way. Taking instruction from the race coaches, taking advice, but kind of still resorts back to the same style that you mentioned, you know, once in a while he'll, you'll see him, you know, go the other way. You'll see him shorten up. But a lot of times he just kind of tries to rip it and pull it down the right field line. So he decided he needed to learn more about his body. He needed to learn more about his swing. He went to another coach that he'd met who actually worked for another team. He didn't want to say who it was with the Rays blessing. No problem from the Rays. And he basically, according to Kevin Kiermaier, he tore down and rebuilt his stance, his swing, his control of his body, his positioning. Yeah, when I asked him how different will it look, because obviously we just saw him you know, jump in and out of the cage today, nothing you could really measure. He said it's mm-hmm. not going to look that different to any to the casual fan or to the casual observer, but the, the you know it's not like his hands are dramatically different or his stance is dramatically closed or anything like that. It's just going to be a matter of, in his mind, the overall positioning of the body is going to allow him he says to a completely different style, his words, and mm. hitting the ball the other way, going to left more, using the whole field, all of that's going to be part of it now. It's interesting. Uh, obviously, he'll have, have to let the ball get deeper in some instances and, and, and refrain from what's been his approach probably for most of his life. So how hard is that, Mark? You've been around a lot of Major League players that make adjustments year to year. Um, Longoria was famous for that at times, and um, I'm just curious as to, you know, can these guys at this level do that and have success? It's hard, but you do see it. And then I will give, you know, Kimmer credit for this. He, he made it the point that he said during the season, he's not the kind of guy who can do that thing. Some players mm-hmm. can, like Gloria would change, you know, as you said, stances and grips and styles mm-hmm. and approach several times during the course of a season. Mm-hmm. Kimmer said he doesn't like to do that. He doesn't, you know, he admitted he just doesn't have the brain power, the concentration to try to change things during the season. He likes to stay locked in with what he's doing. So 
he did take it upon himself. He said he took he he volunteered. He took more swings than any player in baseball this offseason. He said wow. there's no doubt he led the league in, in swings in the winter. Um, mm. I guess he has. A, I didn't even know this. Apparently, he has a sl- little bit of a batting cage in his house that he built, so he could just go down there and take all the swings he wants. But uh, he said it's going to be different. It's going to be better. It's going to uh, change how he does it. And the fact that he did it during the offseason at least makes sense. I mean, if you're going to try it and you know your limitations that you're not good sure. at changing during the year, he went out and got it done. Uh, and you know, he he wants to play a game now. He said he can't wait to get in there and see how it works. Well, going back uh, a, a little bit to the Margot trade, I mean, you, you know, obviously you give up a player like Pagan, they could always add to the bullpen, but they have a lot of guys who, you know, can pitch late innings now. The biggest piece of that, Mark, um, might be just what they can get from Jose Alvarado. He had a lights-out start to the season, then there were some injuries, then there was the, the situation that he had to go home to take care of his family. Um, that situation is different. Tell us about your conversation with Jose Alvarado. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, there, there's going to be a massive amount of curiosity in Yoshi Tutsugo, the free agent uh, slugger they signed from Japan. There's going to be some Japanese media here. There's going to be, you know, more of a kind of a, I guess, curiosity is the best word. But mm-hmm. the player, I think you need to watch the closest in spring. The player that's going to be most closely watched is Jose Alvarado because he, there is no how good he could be, how impactful he could be, but they also know how much of a lost year uh, last season was between the injuries the off-field issues. And I think, you know, again, the, the pop psychologist isn't good to do, but, you know, it, it wasn't a coincidence that when his mom was taken ill is when he started to struggle on the field while he was still here. So you have to assume that distraction what sure. was a significant one for him as well. And, you know, so the idea that he could get back to where he was the first six weeks or that he showed glimpses of in 2018, you know, Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach, said he texted Alvarado in the, during the offseason when Araldus Chapman, the great Yankees reliever, won the reliever of the year award. And he mm-hmm. said, there's no reason you can't do this. You have just as much talent. And, mm. you know, he's not off. He's really not off on that. I mean, the, the fastball is there. The breaking ball can be there. Yeah. Uh, the physical intimidation can be there. So, you know, the experience, the conviction, the confidence, those are things that he has to work on a little bit. And I think the Rays realized how you know magnificent he could be. And that's why getting him back is going to be so important. Now, the one twist to this that I did find out yesterday, wrote about in today's in the Tampa Bay Times this week, was that he doesn't have the concern anymore about his parents being in Venezuela because he has them here now. Through the team, they're able to get visas. They are able to be over here now. They can, you know, they're going to live with him. They're here in Port Charlotte. They're going to live with him uh, in St. Pete, Tampa area during the season. So that that worry shouldn't be there. I mean, obviously, you know, the medical care is going to be better here. He'll be able to closely more more closely monitor them. You know, money was an issue in Venezuela. He said last year that, you know, he was the only person in the family making any money. So whatever he made is what everybody, you know, he had to send home for everybody to use. So mm. I think the fact that they'll be here should give him a peace of mind that could really pay off as well. And and to be honest, I mean, they do have a lot of guys um, that have closing stuff, right? I mean, and who knows whether they go with matchups or if it's the by committee approach or somebody just takes that, but... I mean, when you look at Nick Anderson, when you look at Diego Castillo, I mean, there are guys in the bullpen that, that can be ninth-inning guys. Absolutely, and I'm, I know that factored into it, too. I mean, you you look around at what they have, and Nick Anderson certainly jumps out at you as a guy who did mm-hmm. so well for them last year to come over from the Marlins. Uh, Diego Castillo, you know, some inconsistency there, but when he's on, he definitely has the stuff. And then similar to Alvarado, kind of that intimidating look, the blazing fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if he could get on a little bit of a roll, those would be the two guys that jump out at me the most. They've got some other guys. Colin Poche is a guy that they think has tremendous stuff from the left side. He has to harness that a little bit. 
Peter Fairbanks, who they got in trade from Texas last year. We saw him a little bit toward the end of the season. Another guy that's yeah. tremendous stuff. They think he just needs to get a little maturity and see how he can do with that. So there, there are a number of options there. I do think it'll be a committee approach. Uh, I think that we'll hear that a lot from Kevin Cash this spring, but that's what they said last year, and eventually Pagan emerged as the guy. At some point, somebody has to be the guy. Yeah. I mean, you, you go into the day, and you can say that, and you can say you're going to use the most impactful relievers in the most high-leverage situations. But sometimes you do, and that might be the seventh or eighth inning. But there has to be a default mode. And the default mode is if everything goes right, here's who we're going to pitch in the seventh and eighth, and here's who we're going to pitch in the ninth. And that's how they've settled uh, towards the end of the season when they needed to win so many late-season games. And, and of course, they had uh, Nick Anderson setting up for Jose Pagan, and um, that seemed to work uh, for the most part. Uh, a, a lot of new faces, of course. We'll talk about a lot of them, I'm sure, during the spring training, Mark. But uh, one that's uh, intriguing to me is Jose Martinez. You had a chance to talk to him, of course. A guy who uh, has always had a good pat, right? Uh, not sure where you play him, how much you play him. Kind of a defensive liability. Uh, uh, certainly that is not his strength. But in the American League, Mark, this would seem to be a nice fit. It should be. And he's a guy the Rays have talked about getting and, and talked to the Cardinals about a number of times over the last few years. And, you know, it's a, it's a little tough because it's the American League and they do have the ability to DH him, but they also have, you know, a number of other hitters and a couple of lefties who are going to need to get them DH at bats as well. So Martinez sure. is a right-hand hitter. It's not that they're going to be able to just, you know, give him 150 games at DH, but right. I do think, you know, obviously against left-handers he'll be in there. I do think mm-hmm. the Rays would prefer the only gloves he wear or the batting glove style. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he, he has the ability to impact the game from the right side. His numbers against lefties are tremendous. I think he'll be in this mix here. Uh, you know, can he go out there and play first base? Sure, absolutely. Do they, could they put him in the outfield, especially if Kiermaier and Margot are the other two outfielders? He doesn't have to cover very much ground. I think he could do that, too. And, sure. you know, I'm not saying that's why, of course, you make that trade, but there could be a side benefit of that where, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you start him, throw him in right field, keep him over by the line, tell him let the other guys handle everything they can get to, and, you know, get the three at bats out of him and pull him out of the game. But, Another interesting piece that they had a little bit earlier this offseason and that trade was made, and the other guy they got, Randy Arazarena, is the one they speak more highly of and I think, think can really be a big part of their future. He's likely to start a AAA now, especially mm-hmm. with the addition of Margot. Well, the way they're going with those two outfielders, maybe they'll play five infielders and he can just stay in, in the infield. Who knows? Why not? Um, they played four outfielders. They use a pitcher to a reliever to start a game. Why not go with two outfielders? <laughs> Here you go. They can cover all that ground. And then – um, as if you didn't have enough to, uh, to write about in just this first couple days, we haven't even gotten to the actual spring training games yet, to say the least. It's pitchers and catchers. But, um, look, everybody's talking about Stuart Sternberg and this, this Montreal plan, and he had, a, I guess, a meeting of some kind with uh, Mayor Jane Castor in Tampa and Ken Hagen. Of course, the Hillsborough County Commission has been involved. Um, what what came out of that, and just sort of what is uh, where are we now with the Rays' approach to uh, still going forward uh, with this plan, but also talking to Hillsborough County? Well, I, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I think at this point, you know, it's become very clear, and despite you know that that at least a segment of the fan base has been upset about it, it's been very clear that the Rays are making you know their sole focus is trying to make this Montreal two city plan work. They really think right. this is the future of sports. You know, I, in my talk with Sternberg the other day, you know, he referenced, you know, in, in your your little corner of the world, you're the Jacksonville Jaguars now contracting to play two games That's right. in England uh, this coming season and one big trip staying over there. You know, he said that's mm-hmm. 25% of their schedule. It's, you know, they only play eight home games. They just gave two of them to, to play That's in England. True. So, 
That's right. He thinks it's going to be something that's going to happen in other sports. He thinks it's the solution for them. I think there's been a huge disconnect uh, in their messaging that fans in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay, the ones at least that we hear from, which isn't everyone, and you have to acknowledge that, but sure. feel like this is taking the team away from them. The Rays are trying to say, no, this is the way to keep the team because it's not going to work here full time. So net result is for their plan to work, they need a new stadium somewhere in the Tampa Bay area, open air, smaller stadium, but still a $600 million stadium, give or take a few million, you know, what's that in first Nick money, but you know, you have to figure out where that's going to go. And their dealings with Rick Kreisman, the St. Pete mayor haven't been real good lately. So logical step, they reached out across the Bay. They met with Jane Castor at the Tampa mayor, as you said, and I think Mm -hmm. discussed, you know, if we want to do this plan, which we do, we'd like to consider, you know, the stadium in Tampa. And she said she was optimistic afterward. I think, uh, and she also said she still hopes there's a chance, you know, to make sure. this a full-time arrangement. And, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, as much as the Rays can say what they want, Rick, obviously, and, and, you know, that is their plan, and they are looking at Montreal. I do think it's the future. But I also, right. you know, I'm going to just I go out there and say common sense would be if somehow someone came to them and said, no, here's a way to stay full-time. Here's the money for it. Here's the sponsorship. Here's the contracts. Here's the corporate commitment. And, you know, it was going to work as opposed to when they looked at it in Eport a couple of years ago and it didn't work. I think yeah. they would look at that. I mean, I don't know. I don't think, you know, they're going to say no without considering it. But they, you know, did do a lot of studying of that process when they were trying to go to Ebor a couple of years ago and they felt like it wouldn't work then. Yeah, well, regardless of what they do, um, even with this plan that they're that they're pitching now, they'll require a stadium somewhere in Tampa Bay. And when that when that stadium, if it were to break ground for any purpose, whether it was to keep them here full time or to share the season, that 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 definitely gives them an option, right? It gives them a chance to to look at things again and say, well, you know, uh, can we also get one in Montreal? Can we, you know, may, maybe we stay here, play a couple seasons under this current stadium? I mean, who knows? Uh, this has a long way to go, obviously, before we figure out just what it's going to look like. But um, I'll give Sturberg credit. Mark, you were there. Uh, he was all too willing to talk to fans, and there were many of them that gave him a bit of an earful. Yeah, and you know, I, I do think that. And, and again, you know, the social media response sometimes can, can seem a little poisonous, but right. I, I do think he deserves some credit for going out and, and willing to you know, literally walk the crowd, work the crowd, talk to people. Yeah. You know, let them tell him how dumb he was, let them tell him how smart he was, whatever, but to, to you know, solicit opinion, to, to try to spread their message. And, you know, sure. there, because there's so many steps to this plan, and, and just to slightly correct what you said, is the plan would be for two new stadiums, one in each market, but they'd be open-air stadiums under this concept because the team's going to follow the weather. So if they yeah, got so, it, so it really wouldn't work if stadium yeah. in Tampa, you couldn't yeah. really use that and then say, oh, well, maybe that would work full-time. I mean, I guess you right. could retrofit it, but... That's the idea right. is that these two new stadiums are, are a bargain mm. price at only six hundred million right. each, whereas one right. dome stadium is going to be over a billion dollars. So exactly. there are many hurdles. Mm. The players' union is going to be part of this. Obviously, the other owners are going to be part of this. Although we talked to Commissioner Manfred last week, he said there has been increasing receptivity among the other owners who now see the merits of this. All right. We've got a long way to go, and, and there'll be plenty of discussions about it for sure throughout this year. I think the players who are currently here now. Um, as you talked about before, aren't as concerned because it, it, it's so far down the road they can't really consider, concern themselves with it. Um, let me ask you uh, finally about uh, uh, this Major League Baseball um, talk about expanding the playoffs uh, to 14 teams. What has been the initial reaction to that, and, and do you think this is a good idea? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there were a lot of pieces to that and, and you know, the, the, the kind of manufactured drama of letting the teams with the better records pick whom they want to play against. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see where that would be very conversational. Yeah. You know, there was a little bit of that when there was like the potential for a three-way tie at the end of the season. And then there'd be a, they, they, you know, where they did like a coin flip and like he may got to pick whether they wanted to play one right. game against B or, or two against C and home or road. So I see where there'd be some drama there, but it just seems logistically uh, hard to pull off. And it, it maybe takes a drop off the edge of competition, but I don't think that they're going to spend the playoffs. I think they also realize not only is the one game playoff, which some people don't like just from the, the competitiveness factor in, you know, that one game decides everything, they could get a lot more revenue by making that best of three as well. So right. in some form, they're going to expand the playoff. Just this seemed a little much, like a little too gimmicky, a little mm-hmm. too uh, cheapening it maybe, but, but I kind of get it. I mean, it, it incentivized every step of the way. I mean, there was a benefit to having the best record. There was a benefit to winning the division. There was Mm -hmm. a benefit to having the best record among the wild card teams. You know, and I think the way they're going to sell it to the union is it's going to, you know, in theory, stop tanking. It's going to encourage every team to compete because now more teams are making the playoffs and there's a benefit for how high you finish and how many games you win. That's right. And those last few games uh, will mean a lot. And then, of course, uh, with an opportunity to get maybe a bye of some kind by winning the division or having the best record, that, that certainly. And then there'll be strategy maybe involved if they do. Uh, elect to let them um, choose teams and that, you know, maybe, maybe you pick a better team, but their pitching's all beat up and you're not going to get their number one and two guy the first round, you know, so uh, that would be interesting as well. Well, Mark, uh, this has been a whirlwind first week and we're not even really to it yet, um, but you've had plenty to write about as you guys can just hear uh, and you got to check them out on TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times. He's the best baseball writer uh, in America for my money. Mark, thanks so much. We'll talk to you later. All right, Rick, as always. Anytime. Have a good one, man. Always great to catch up with Mark. The Tampa Bay Lightning will return home tomorrow night against Edmonton. We'll talk to Diana Neros, who covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times, on tomorrow's podcast. And we'll talk a little NASCAR with Matt Baker as the Daytona 500 is on Sunday. Of course, he covers racing as well as college football for us for the Tampa Bay Times. So lots going on the rest of the week here on the podcast. We thank you guys for joining us each and every Monday through Friday. For Steve Versnick. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.